0: Hey gang, welcome to episode 49 of the No Persinium Podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson. First things first, uh, I want to apologize for there being no show last week. Uh, I know some of you listen to these in a big block, but for those of you who listen in real time, um, as you might be able to tell from the sound of my voice, I've been a little sick lately, uh, and it's really put a wrench in the works. Uh, We have another episode lined up. we got a recording coming up uh, this weekend. And uh, I'm going to scramble and get some more stuff onto the... Scramble makes it sound so bad. Look, we've got a really busy June coming up. So when I say scramble, I mean it's going to be pretty easy to book the next month of the show. So don't worry, we're we're coming in strong. This time out, uh, this is a special After Dark with Zay and Noah episode. Uh, We're going to wax philosophical. On um, the nature of narrative and immersive I recommend listening to this one with a drink Perhaps late Might not be good for jogging around with um, You're, you're going to want to just, you know, let it wash over you uh, The uh, Zay's uh, part of it there, there was rain going on in New York So for like the first few minutes of, of the episode You get this kind of like rhythmic bass backbeat going on it's uh, it's qu- quite soothing, and uh, I may pull a full narcissist and listen to this one myself, um, because I, I don't always listen to the episodes because I live the episodes. Uh, but I was listening back for some editing reasons because I had to sync the two files, and I was like, mm, "I'm liking this. I want to listen to this one this weekend." Um, also, maybe it's the the medication's making me delirious, but you don't want to know about my health. I hope you don't. You want to know about news and notes. Let's go. All right. um, If this is what happens when my voice is sick all the time, I'm just never going to be healthy ever again. All right. uh, Let's talk about Los Angeles. Uh, Hollywood Fringe is coming up. So that means we're going to get uh, at least a few interesting experiments. Here are the three that I've identified so far as having a lot of potential. Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't other shows That I'm going to catch. Or that I'm not already already signed up to catch. But these are the ones. Where if they're not good. I'm going to be disappointed. There I said it. There we go. Uh, The Truth. Which uh, has elements of sort of. feels sort of like you know. Accomplice meets a pod play. Is what I'm getting from the description. Then there's another piece called Oblivious. A video game theatrical experience. Or video game theater experience. I think I might have said that wrong. Um, That's like. Noah Nelson, Dream Word Salad. So um, yeah, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And then Annie Lesser, who did a part, uh, who did uh, Getting to Know You last year, has a piece called Apartment Eight, which is part of her ambitious sort of ABC project uh, that she's trying to get off the ground. And this is the first part of it, and um, I expect all of those to be good. There, I'm I'm I could get disappointed. It's entirely possible. I'm disappointed all the time. My life is disappointment. But I'm hoping those three pieces are good. So make them good, people who are making them, so that I can be happy about them when we talk about them on the show. There we go. All right. Um, I'm a little self-centered right now. I'm healing, guys. I'm healing. Um, What else is up this week? Uh, Shoshin, uh, I got to take in... Hold on. (coughs) I'm not kidding. Uh, I got to take in uh, Screenshot Productions' new piece, uh, which is now unfortunately over, uh, called Shoshin, uh, Beginner's Mind uh, It's lovely There's a review of it Over at the No Persinium Medium Collection Medium.com no proscenium It's right there at the top right now um, It's a fantastic piece Meditative For sort of obvious reasons Because it's about meditation uh, It's about 90 minutes And um, I'm glad I went even though I was sick Which is uh, Something I don't say about a lot of stuff uh, so there, R- read, read the piece uh, This this has gone long enough as it is uh, Another piece that brings up Shoshin And talks about the L.A. scene in general uh, Our friend Juliet Bennett Ryla of L.A.ist Has a piece about how uh, the L.A. immersive scene Is really strange and beautiful It's not the exact title But uh, we retweeted it on the Twitter feed this week And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll post it in the Facebook feed as well It's It's a really wonderful piece uh, Julia gives us a little shout-out, and I'm very thankful for that. And indeed, I'm sure someone is listening to this episode, uh, this podcast for the first time, because they stumbled across uh, us from Juliet's feed and are wondering, why are we listening to this sinus man talk? Because that's how every episode starts, but it's not how it ends. Trust me, we're getting there. More news. New York, uh, new, epi- new episode, new issue of the podcast newsletter came out this week and uh the listings some of the new listings included uh the great american casket company which is an immersive piece set at greenwood cemetery in south slope brooklyn uh, that's gonna be running this june big acreage and um zay says the setting is really wonderful and um it's about a casket company and it's at a cemetery i mean come on come on also in Brooklyn, the Speakeasy Dollhouse, The Bloody Beginning, returns uh, to an undisclosed location in Williamsburg for a run through August. If I'm parsing this right, this is a remount of an earlier version of Speakeasy Dollhouse uh, material. And um, yeah, it's a return engagement, and um, it's it was popular, and uh, I'm kind of jealous. Wish I could get back out to New York. Not in the cards right now. But if you are making your way there, we do have some good news. Both The Grand Paradise and Then She Fell have extended into the summer. Um, We did record this episode before the announcement of The Grand Paradise extension. So I think we may talk about it uh, as if it is fate accomplished because it was supposed to close this weekend. But they figured out a way to save the show. Yay. Um, Also, right now in New York, uh, I think for this next month, uh, Grin, uh, third rail projects who uh, put on both those shows are doing some workshops so you should check that out I think we've put it into the feeds uh, but it's definitely something if you're interested in doing this kind of work that you should go do um, This uh, I had a segue here that was like speaking of speakeasies but um, no because that was two items ago so here there I'm not a good segue person when I'm like medicated um but speaking of speakeasies, uh, Boxcar Theater's speakeasy is uh, up in San Francisco and it's going on sale soon. This is a return of a very successful show. Uh, they've got a brand new venue. It's massive. I think I have mentioned before. Uh, tickets go on sale in the middle of June. They're also doing something kind of interesting, um, which I could probably wax poetic on, but I'm not going to. They are offering up shares in the company through uh, the Jobs Act, through the Title Three crowdfunding. It's not crowdfunding the way we think of crowdfunding, it's really crowd-investing. And there are requirements, and there's a minimum buy-in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they are looking to raise some more funds that way. They have a very ambitious vision for what they want to do with this show um, in terms of spreading it around the planet. And uh, you can kind of dig around and find it. Um, I haven't posted links yet. I probably will post a link in the feed at some point. Um, I've been a little under the weather, as you can tell. Okay, enough excuses. Let's get into this episode. Um, this is Zay. This is me. This is us talking over Skype or something like Skype. Um, we've merged the audio so you don't have to hear the garbage track of uh, of a Skype recording. Um, it's strange. It's weird. It's philosophical. Uh, you know, maybe take some cough medicine. That'll probably put you in the right mood. Um, I wish I had some cough medicine. It would definitely put me in the right mood. Um, I need to talk to my doctor. All right, um, go have some fun. Listen to this. Oh, and one more thing: um, if memory serves, you know we might be a little loose with language. So if you're one of those people who likes to listen to the show with the kids in the car or something like that, you know this. No, not this one. Not this one.
1: Uh, this this one's this one's your seed. So um, what do you uh, what are you thinking about? Here. So,
2: I. I was listening... It, it comes from two things. Well, it comes from a whole bunch of things, but it comes from two things. It comes from... Um, I was listening to... I was listening to... I, I listened to many of them. I did not listened to all of them, so I was listening to all of the No Prisenium pro- podcasts, some of them for a second time. Um, and you were having a conversation with... Oh, and now I can't remember. You were having a conversation with someone... If I were better, I would have looked this up. And you were talking about story, mm. and about whether and well, you talked about story with a number of people, but this this person you were talking about story in terms of um, whether or not story is important or necessary. And at one point, the person said, in in reference in talking about story, she said that the piece. Didn't have a story. This was for the dinner party. It was the dinner party. Okay,
1: so yeah, it was Lauren, Lauren Ludwig, and uh, yes, and, and the drum. And also, I think said, we've started now. Just so you know, oh, like okay. I think That's I think fine. I think it starts. I think the episode starts with like you saying I was listening to. So like like this is like a nerdist type thing. We'll cut all the stuff that I was saying that was garbage beforehand. Uh,
2: but yeah, <laughs> I'm sure the people would love to know. No, no, they don't to need know. to know that. Uh, so you, so the, the episode um, with Lauren and me talking
1: that that was one of the yeah, short ones too. And,
2: yeah, and and she said, well, such and such didn't have a story. It didn't have a climax, mm. and I thought. Is that is that the definition of story, that there is, or is not, a climax? And this dovetails with a piece on HowlRound, where a guy wrote an essay about essential components of immersive theater. And he picked a number of pieces in New York. He picked Then She Fell, Sleep No More, um, Natasha Pierre and the Comet of 1812. I think House World and then also the Grand Paradise I believe. And one of the things that this person listed as an essential component of immersive theater is that it tells a story. Mm. And which is odd because to me none of those pieces tell anything that I would call a story. Right. Some some of them some of them play off stories that we know. Right. And so it creates this certain illusion or container or something Natasha Pierre has a story but it's also not a piece of immersive theater it's a cabaret piece that was that used the word immersive as a marketing tool basically right which is um, something
1: that we, we come up against all the time and sort of in this rogue samurai fashion when to find this fight and, and, and I find it slightly ironic because like I love that kind of work, I really do. I love a good piece of piece of cabaret, but it's just it's not this thing of ours, right? You know, and that's that's the hardest thing. And I know, like I, I, I'm pretty sure I pissed a producer off recently because you know they they wanted to get on the podcast, um, and I'm like, it's just it's just not. It can be great, it can be amazing, it can be wonderful. Yeah, I think I may have done the
2: same thing recently. Yeah,
1: and it's like, um but we're no i mean if if i don't know we can be nice guys till the end of the end of days and that's not going to help this thing figure out what it's trying to be or the people who are making this type of yeah. work stand out uh from the crowd because there's a lot of cabaret and there's a lot of bad cabaret right. and there's a lot, and there's there's less good cabaret and the good cabaret can be
2: revelatory but right. but yeah but but well, you were on story you're what i story. wonder so what i wonder about is um So, for example, uh, this morning I spoke for, well, I mean, really, I spoke for about two and a half hours with um, Lizzie Carina and uh, Jeanine Ouellette about the Grand Paradise. Um, I'm going to hate you forever now. <laughs> well, well, we had it. We had a call-in question. We had a call-in question from a surprise caller oh. that I'm going to tell you is the highlight of the podcast. So you will you will quite enjoy that. Oh my god! Um, I can't wait but to listen. Something that <laughs> something I, I think I think you're going to be surprised. Um, but something that that was really fascinating to me was how how long the characters of the family had. So. Uh, so, for those who don't know, the Grand Paradise is a new piece by Third Rail Projects. So I'm sure most people know this. Yeah, and this um, and this and episode co-
1: that that you just recorded will actually air before the episode that we're doing right now. Okay. So people can, if they're they're lost or they want to know, they'll, they'll hopefully most of the people have already heard it, and if they haven't heard it, sure. go back and listen uh, to that episode.
2: So one of the conceits of the piece is that you're you're at this resort in the '70s, and every all the characters in this piece are. Uh, people who work at this resort, for want of a better way of looking at it. But there's also this family. Mm -hmm. And this family is sort of like in the same position as you. They're arriving in this place and they experience this place and they engage with this place. And what I was surprised to learn was that these characters have been with Third Rail projects for a very long time. And they've been developed for a very long period of time. Hmm. And in the early in the early conception of the and they all have these stories, these arcs, these things they go through. It, I mean, any in the basic way you want to talk about story, which is there are there is a status quo. The status quo gets upset in some way. A protagonist decides to either return the status quo to the previous status quo or make a new status quo. In trying to do that, they learn enough about themselves that they can never go back to the previous status quo. They either succeed or fail fail, and then there's a new status quo. Right? That's like basic. Story stuff. Yeah. And all of these characters go through that. Yes. And because of the nature of immersive theater and the nature of this piece, it is impossible to get that. It's impossible yeah. to get the entire arc for all of the family. Maybe one, maybe one member of the family, maybe. I mean, but certainly not all of them. And
1: I family. had the experience of seeing it, you know, about three nights apart twice. Um, and as I noted, in, um, in the review I wrote in case anyone is about to hear me say something I've said before, um, you know, I got payoffs to scenes on the second night that I had seen on the first night and I got setups right. to scenes on the, on the second night that I had seen pay off on the first night. It started to create a hole. I mean, l- let me, let me. Posit this as a possibility. Wait,
2: oh. I, I just have to throw in one more oh, thing sure, sure, sure. as 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 a piece of this this soup that's going through my brain right yeah. now. The other really amazing thing that I learned this morning is that in the original structure of the piece, mm-hmm. there was an entire section that was taken out, and this entire section happens at the beginning, and it's where you get the backstory for all, uh, for the entire family. Oh, for the family. For the family, right? Now, now, see, now the tone in your voice where you're like, oh, the family. So what, what they <laughs> learned during their, um, during their um, very, very, um, uh, not as long as they maybe would have wanted development period is that in order for people to be in the space, in other words, in order for people to be immersed in the space, the psychology, like that psychological background that you sort of get when you when you think of character in sort of a contemporary way, was getting in the way. Right. So they had an evening when they split the show. So one group of audience members saw the first half, and the other, and the other group saw the second half. And the group seeing the second half did not get the backstory, and they engaged with the piece in the way they were looking for. They were immersed in the grand paradise. Right. Whereas... The first group was on this sort of psychological character story vector. Right. Right. So all of that. So there's there's something about a linear and complete contemporary psychological narrative that I think not always, but... In some way, is at odds with this notion of what immersion and audience agency means. Can I
1: Maybe. can I propose something uh, that is probably completely pretentious and definitely has a strain of hippydom? You uh, know,
2: it's Friday night at eleven p.m., and this is what we're talking about. And uh, yeah,
1: it. this this is really we're, we're going to label this one after dark because I feel like it's after eleven p.m., <laughs> even though the sun is still out in California. <laughs> Um, <laughs> That's right. Well, it's dark over here. <laughs> yeah. uh, my blackout curtains are closed, so I got the effect. Um, it's always dark in my room, um, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna crib a little bit from uh, from sort of integral psychology and philosophy as well, which means I'm going really weirdo hippie, maybe even off the reservation in terms of what's allowed academically. Um, but I will ground it. Also in in an experience that I had at the Grand Paradise and in an experience that something a thread that I've been sort of seeing in a lot of immersive pieces lately. Let me propose that immersive can contain stories, but that when it's really working, it transcends and includes story. So my experience of any thread at Sleep No More or any track at Then She Fell or the family stuff at Grand Paradise was that there's a story unfolding in this space that I'm in. And given time, I can piece one together. But just as interesting is there are moments that are stories there's moments of storytelling. There were, there was at least one monologue that was really a story that I got at the grand paradise. And that was, um, it's a story about Ganymede. Uh, and it's used, it's used to set up theme, but we're, we're told a story. Um, and when a character, some of the, some of the staff characters are, entertainer characters are revealing elements of themselves. They do it through stories and it's, it's not a monologue that's what's interesting to me and i saw another piece a, a site specific piece here in la just about a week ago uh and and when there were three monologues it was a triptych and when the tri- when the monologues were entering into the space of the, the this being people telling stories about themselves and and not monologuing it it really felt real because We will stop in our lives and allow our friends to tell us a story. We might interject questions to clarify because we're not really sure what's going on, right? But that's the closest a real human being gets to, you know, monologuing, to, to be or not to being... Or to like, you know, a multi page, really to like an Eric Boghossian piece, right? Where like, I'm gonna go on for four pages, or a Danny Hawk piece, or Anna DeVere Smith, where it's like, I'm just totally laying out who I am through speech. It's not a speech, it's a story. We narrativize our own lives. And, and those moments um, can be really connective because here's someone telling a story. Think in, in Then She Fell how magical it is to lay down in bed and get the bedtime story, right? Um I can think of in, in, in and the drum there are moments like that too where someone's telling a story. Um
2: it's it's a little chapter of their lives. Um but isn't that still that's still environmental. Right. So it's right. like, no, the, the, like the, the your container it is is
1: still environmental, right? But it's still using right. story, right? But that is sort of the point, is that the whole thing isn't a story. It contains stories. Right. The sandbox, the space, the the field that is being made that we are immersed in can contain stories. But the ultimate point is not to walk away and say, oh, here's this single story. It's it's like if I go into a comic book store, you know, I might get like a whole bunch of stories at once or if I'm like on some giant. Or like think of like some giant multi part like comic book series, you know. It's like I'm gonna get five or yeah. six story arcs, in, you know, in a in a year. Uh, but I'm, um, it's yeah. That there's a thing. It's like a television series or like a comic book series. Like it's this weird thing where it's like it's a series that happens to be happening in like ninety minutes and in, in two
2: well, hours. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a, a TV series or a. Um... Or a movie franchise, or an extended universe, are about creating, creating um, a world—a world you can move around in, and in that world, stories can happen. Um, and you may have like sort of an origin story, or like a story of what the apocalypse might be, but you never quite actually experience one or the other. You're always in the space in between. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm, I mean, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Can we take a step back though? Sure. And because because I think the text I sent you today. In, in my frenzy was um, let, let's define the term story let's because mm. let's, what I did before that whole status quo thing that's like a that's like a dramatic writing approach to story that's like a screenplay writing approach to story like that's the sort of thing that if you go to a BFA or an MFA writing program and you read like sid field it's it's that sort of world right but, but- sid field i have, I have an
1: actor oh, God. I, I know i know i, I, know. I actually i posed, <laughs> i post to my housemate today it's funny you should mention his name i know i'm derailing but i, I gotta get this joke out there uh i proposed to my house i proposed to my housemate today that if you got a room full of screenwriters together and you said we're going to give you a time machine and you can go back in time and you can choose to either kill hitler or kill sid field <laughs> Who, who do you take out of the time stream that you might be surprised at what happens.
2: Um, but there's, yeah. but, but there's, I mean, there's something about that. I mean, you know, I mean, it. I mean to get, I mean the, the first Aristotle was the first Sid field. Oh right? Yeah, he was. Aristotle looked at the people who were winning these story contests or one section of them anyway, and said, okay, why are these people winning? And, the, the fundamental thing he said was there's a beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And this beginning, middle, and end, this notion of of a transition point between what how do you know when the beginning is over and the middle has begun, how do you know when the middle is over and the end has begun, is what spins out all of this other stuff that has been going and transforming people and selling millions and millions of books off of it. Because when it's satisfying, people will give you money to experience it. And... But there's something softer, there's something more, there's something that isn't um, this large-scale entertainment contest, and there's something that's more about sitting around the campfire, yeah. or at the end of the day with a friend or a loved one, yeah. that you're talking about. And that's also story for sure. Yeah. So there, there's something that isn't this Sidville Rob McKee, David Mammoth reuses of the knife sort of thing. Yeah that is more grounded in human, that is also a story, and that can ex- exist in an environment. Well, and I think, I mean, what
1: I, I've given this some thought, too, because like, when I was in the, bouncing around the transmedia world for a while, trying to understand that, that space, there was a real question of, like, what was the unit of story? One of the first interesting conversations I had yeah. about transmedia was, like, what is the unit of transmedia? Um yeah. how do you how do you recognize? How do you package it up and give it to somebody? And and no one cracked it because again it's this like it's this field effect. We're creating a space for things or we're you know, people were saying, Oh, it's jumping around platforms and whatnot and 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 it got it got so bad that people had like, you know, these nomenclature wars that ultimately detracted from everyone doing anything. Um but what's what was interesting to me was that people would come and say, well, does it need to be a story at all? And I started to really think of the, the inverse of that being, well, what do we, which is the question you're asking, what do we mean by story? What is the essential thing that a story does? And in, in the best I could come up with is like, a story transmits, it's, it's, a, it's a method of communication that sort of manages to bun together, bundle together values, and emotion, and and maybe maybe some ideas, right? And those things can sometimes look the same, but but they do have a certain level of of distinction. The values thing, I think, whether people might fight against, like, oh, like, well, I'm not, I'm not moralizing here, but it's like, well, no, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be moralizing, it doesn't have to be the moral of the story is, but there is some assumptions about the way the world works, what is good, what is just, what, or, you know, what is fair, that is, that are baked in to any given story, because you're not going to move the needle on emotions Unless you get some sense to the listener that something is wrong, unless you've broken the status quo, unless you've established that way, so like, so it's it's a way of transmitting, right?
2: Because you you can't. I mean, you, I mean to, to I mean, I'm sorry. I have a, I, I can run a dramatic writing world. So so the way I would translate what you're saying very beautifully into something sort of awful and mechanic is to say that uh, you can't have stakes without value. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You
2: know. No. And, and well are and essential you, to and I would this thing.
1: And I would say what you just said was here's the mutual admiration of society you said it more beautifully cuz you said it more efficiently, right? Like I, I as a as a news guy by trade uh I love efficiency professionally.
2: But I feel way. like cuz I feel like in in those things that you just that you just said I would say um and and weirdly given that we're like immersive theater crazies um is that the only thing that's missing is Character, which is which is, and character is just some some sort of like uh, uh, agency or yeah. goal or or yearning or need, and then there's some sort of obstacle in front of it, and that's the thing. Yeah. Um. And the yearning and the need, in the yearning and the need, is embedded stakes and value because you only want something you think it is good, or you're escaping something bad, right? Yeah. So. So there's there's that thing if there's a character there's a person there's a something that wants or needs something and the character can be like you know a talking rock I mean it doesn't need to be a person right like in a um, like in a fable a it could be the frog action. and the
1: scorpion you know yeah like, exactly the like fox and the scorpion depending which version you're you're hearing
2: and and I and I think that this that this gets back to um, this thing that you were telling me Michael Tara Garver was talking about about how and she spoke with me about it too and when, when when I interviewed her about how important it is. Um, to cast the audience yeah. in an immersive piece, yeah. because it's the way it's the way the audience knows what to do. It's their role in this story, and and it can be something as ambient uh, and and not clearly articulated, but heavily implied in something like Sleep No More, where, where it's a sort of haunting voyeuristic. Like you're there to watch. Yeah,
1: you're a ghost you know? haunting this. Right building uh,
2: and or it can be something more um, <laughs> um, more uh, sort of pl- grounded or plastic or realistic where in the grand paradise you're on vacation yeah you're on vacation on this place that just happens to be some you know mishmash of uh, uh, fantasy island and the island from Lost and you know that place that you really wanted to go when you were like 13 on vacation with your family you know yeah
1: it's it that border liminal zone. You're like right in the twilight zone. Um, yeah, and so like that. I part, mean, all this stuff. I'm sorry. Oh go yeah, and like you know, I mean, all these things really take place sort of in the twilight zone. That's the that's the fun stuff, right? Liminal spaces. But yeah, but that is the thing. Is like yeah, the character. Um, the character is the way that the stuff manifests right like yeah. without without but, characters those values just sort of sit there floating without any anyone to be agents of them you know yeah
2: i mean i i would be really you were you were talking with someone else and i'm so sorry that i i don't either have notes or a better memory but you were you were talking with someone else in one of in one of the podcasts this was the 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 fellow who the fellow what am i like 80 years old the guy who made um the maze that was behind <gasps> the bar oh yeah yes.
1: jamie 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 peterson and
2: he, he said something really fascinating he said that he would be interested in an immersive piece that was fully abstract because which which was interesting to me because i always thought of a lot of these things as abstract and having him say that made me understand how concrete they really are mm. i mean when you're in a space that's really, really clear, you know, and, and the magic of that for, um, for something like Then She Fell Asleep No More happens really early on. You know, I mean, even when Janine says, hey, um, this is where we're going to have the interview. That was my front door buzzer. I'm going to ignore it because it's probably my upstairs neighbor's dinner. Um, <laughs> um, she doesn't say, let's meet at the theater. She says, let's meet at um, Kingsland Ward. Yeah, when you go to see Sleep No More, they don't say, "Hey, so the theater is at you know La 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 on Twenty Sixth Street on the West Side." They say it's at the McKittrick Hotel. Yeah, and I know people who still think that it actually used to be a hotel. <laughs> and yeah. and the moment that starts invading your memory is the moment you're in the piece. Indeed, and and that's and it's, that's when it's the... imaginary, but it's concrete. Yeah, well, and that's one of the most interesting
1: things about the Grand Paradise is that they've it's right there in the title, you know, this is about the place. Yeah. This is about yeah. the place. Um, and it's one of those, like, it's, it it's so obvious. As opposed to the course, Then She
2: Fell, which is an action.
1: Exactly. Or Sleep No More, which is, which is also, you know, yeah. kind of like an anti-action, I guess you could say, you know? Um, yeah. The, or, yeah, a, a lot of these pieces, you know, like, when they, when they find that title, um, and and right there in the grandparents, like we, we built a place. It's like much like you know we
2: okay. Um, that was my doorbell for the second time, and now I'm worried that it's like my, it's there's something happening. So I'm gonna go go, do go that. check
1: that out. We'll be right back.
2: I will be right back.
1: What Zay doesn't know is that I've sent top level weirdo, immersive, quote unquote assassins to engage him in an amazing experience that is about to begin called someone else's dinner is at my doorstep. Uh, no, uh, we'll probably cut all this because frankly, uh, it'd be a little ridiculous. Zay is back. Where were we?
2: Where were we? Man, That's, we were, we were somewhere good.
1: We were, we were, oh, I was waxing poetic about, um, about the grand paradise, the, 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 being the, title about the, about creating the spaces. Or you yeah. And you were talking about the fact that it's like, meet me at War- Kingsland Ward, meet me at the McKittrick. Um, yeah, that's... If, if a piece is going to endure, it feels like the essential thing is you built this place where this thing happens. You've created a space where there are possibilities And this is one of the reasons why it's so easy for us to see the similarities between immersive and theme parks like Disneyland, or why Imagineers are giant fans of this form, are some of the biggest fans of this show, is because the aim there is explicitly, we're going to create a place. We're going to create a place where you can have these you can have these discoverable discovery experiences and in the course of that we may tell some stories and we may embed story into the space and a story may unfold but the aim isn't telling the story the way you conventionally would the aim yeah. is this conveyance of um you know you're going to get initiated into a certain viewpoint of the world
2: yeah i think that's true and i I think that's probably why the first great um and you know a lot more about this than i do um the first great virtual reality work of art is not going to be a narrative experience
1: no no we're gonna need narrative experiences to get us there yeah but it's it's not going to be and we're gonna need games to get us there too but it will be something other. Um, yeah. It'll. It'll. Well, games.
2: In. I mean, games have a funny relationship with this too, because. Oh, um, it, it. It's like that. That weird experience where you. You're invited into a world, and it seems like it's going to be a sandbox experience, but it's really not. Because, like, the shape of your experience is guided by. Um, it's like I was. Like I spent the last two days looking at because once upon a time I had a handle on where we were with story. I mean, one of the things that, that was so frustrating to me about this Howlround article about how immersive theater must have a story is that it is that it has been a real. It's been over a hundred years since theater needs to have a story to be considered theater. Hmm. Like point blank. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, even even before. The '60s, even before any of that, modernism annihilated the notion that you have to have a straight dramatic line, or a, a dramatic line at all. And to claim that any theatrical form needs to have a story in order to be considered a theatrical form, I, I, I just don't understand how anybody who um, has been engaging with theater for quite some time can can have that perspective. So, in in games, when something is supposed to be a sandbox. So it's a world that you're exploring and you're exploring this world and you have to take an action and that action creates some sort of crisis. And then somehow like the crisis freezes. And until you take the next step <laughs> along that crisis, you can like spend a hundred hours doing something else. It doesn't seem like you're in an environment.
1: Yeah. It's the thing know? I hate the most. Like I love, cause I love these giant sandbox games and, but that shit is what breaks me every time. It's like, I never finished yeah. Skyrim because I was like, I can tell you one way to make sure that this war does not come to a bloody end. I'm just not going to fight it. I'm the prime mover. <laughs> I'm the only person who has agency in this entire world. So if I don't go up on top of that mountain, this world will never yeah. fall. Right? Yeah. It's... it's It's the ultimate power fantasy, if you have eyes to see it. It's also incredibly frustrating, and it just cracks the illusion. And to watch people play those games, and be like, oh, the world is so realistic. I was like, oh, realistic? Dude, like, nothing was happening in that village. And then I fought this fight in a different place, and all of a sudden the village is burned to the ground. Like, there's nothing realistic about that. There's just switches being flipped and pallets being swapped. Much more realistic is oh, I walked to that village, I chose not to do something, and by choosing not to do something, something else happened. That level of complexity. That's one of the things that's so yeah. exciting about, you know, what I call a sandbox immersive piece is that sense that, like, oh, it doesn't matter whether I'm here or not, the scene is happening. You know, it's going on, yeah. and the world progresses yeah. and goes on. And the sort of the genius yeah. of Sleep No More is that repetition you know it lets you go right. like oh you missed it the first time but take a different track you're going to see what you missed which is just right. like Disneyland like oh didn't see what goes on in Peter Pan go over to Peter Pan now you're going to go over to Snow White you know it's all here for yeah. you
2: and and i think a lot of the early um or early uh, for me early immersive theater pieces that i went to before um then she fell before sleep no more um, were made by people who are very much in this narrative um, world. So, so you would see something happen, and then you, you might be able to catch a scene for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So like if you, if you had the perfect route through the piece, you would put together a story, and, it's, and it seemed like that was the goal of the piece. Right. And yet it was a goal that was almost impossible to achieve. Exactly. So it created this, it, it wasn't about the environment enough, you know, yeah. these were like, I don't know, like transitional pieces where they were they were they were um, essentially narrative theater people who were struggling oh. to. F- oh.
1: I lost you for a second there. So
2: am I back? You're
1: back. We'll have the recording on both ends, but I don't know what you said.
2: Oh, OK, Um, I I guess I was just talking about this, this, this early work in New York um, that I saw before all of these other things. Um, was still really holding on to this narrative thing. Right. So it was like, if you maneuvered your way through the space in in the right way, with the right timing, then you would get the story. And then there would be a climax at the end. There would be a scene at the end that sort of brought everything together in the way that a well-crafted story does, um, in, a, you know, in a wonderful way. I love well-crafted stories. Um, but it definitely wasn't about the space. It didn't put you off in that way, so there was this... It was sort of um it wasn't like something like um i mean now now i'm thinking about this dinner party thing is so the dinner party thing is really really fascinating as a um to use a dinner party as a medium you know yeah. or or a, or a wedding or and weddings have real have like real structure um but uh and, an and, and some people like
0: to
1: a, some some people particularly like there's some folks who like i feel like they troll me slightly, gently troll me. They're always like Tony and Tina's wedding. Tony and Tina's wedding. Tony and Tina's wedding. Anytime I bring up immersive theater, I'm like, oh sure. I mean like technically, yes, but like, you know, it's it's a comedy show. Like there's a gimmick to it, you know, like it's it's um but yeah, that structure there, you know, like there are these ritual but that's what it is, there's ritual, right? There's a ritual in a dinner party, there's a ritual in a wedding. Grand Paradise invents a ritual Right? Um, Sleep No More has rituals within it, you know? Uh, Then She Fell has the ritual of tea
2: time, right? (laughs) Yeah, but but imagine a Tony and Tina's wedding that that was something like that, but it was less like Tony and Tina's wedding and more like the celebration. Uh -uh. Oh, God. (laughs) I mean... I'd go to that. <laughs> I,
1: I don't know if I would, but <laughs> I'd probably do it for
2: science. But oh god, yeah.
1: Well, that that gets us kind of, that starts dear, to feel like a Lo- Nordic LARP territory. It's like,
2: uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, LARP. they. I mean, they know how to torture themselves. Yeah, dear 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 Lars von Trier, please make an immersive theater
1: no. piece. Asking my oh, friend, uh, shudder. Only only if he comes here. I'm so yeah. Um, there's there's. I've got this beef with him for the fact that, like, he, like, made all these movies about America and he never came here. And I'm like, ugh, that's just just as bad as an American making a movie about, you know... I mean, granted, it's like, no, but I am seeing it through the lens of, it's like, right, right, sure, Lars,
2: go make some porn,
1: why don't you? But, like, I I know what he's getting at, but it's, like, at the same time, it's like, ah, two wrongs don't...
2: Well, I feel like, I mean, Eva Von Hova, um, who's a director who works... I mean, all over the world, but a lot in New York. One of the things that I I kick myself for having missed is he did scenes from a marriage Mm. at New York Theatre Workshop. And he turned New York Theatre Workshop, who famously alters their space a great deal. I mean, not as much now as they used to, but alters their space a great deal for each production. And he turned scenes from a marriage into what sounds to me very like an immersive piece where you were walking through different rooms and seeing different scenes and different uh, uh, seemingly different marriages and different moments or scenes from scenes a from marriage. And, and I really feel like von Hova, sooner or later, he's going to do something like that on a grander scale, mm. or I really, really hope so.
1: I mean, there's something so at a base level, right, this stuff works like a cheat code, right? We're going to strip away the the distance between the audience and the actor and get you right up close. And that's very thrilling. And for people who haven't experienced that before, um, that can be enough to make them go, oh, wow. Um, And sometimes I'll go see a piece and I'll be like, meh. And someone else I know who hasn't seen a lot of stuff will be like, oh, that was incredible. was so cool like they were right there with me and i was like oh you're not jaded yet well i mean guess good for you that you're not jaded yet slash you haven't been thinking about this plasticity of the relationship between the audience and the performer and between the agency of an audience when do they become a participant when does a participant become a protagonist um all of those things and I mean, to be blunt about it, not a lot of that stuff will scale, right? a lot of people are concerned about how can this make money? How can this become a a sustaining, uh, self-sustaining enterprise? And, you know, one formula is the immersive uh, sleep no more methodology. And, you know, like they cram a lot of people into that space now. And it gets difficult to see moments because you're in a section where there's like 40 other people crowded around the bed. And you get this experience of the tableau of the people watching something transgressive. But then it becomes this almost like meta theater of immersive theater, as opposed to like, you're not getting anything except for the the gaze. You're getting the audience's gaze.
2: The the last time I saw uh, Sleep No More... Uh, the second time uh, I saw Sleep No More, I found myself often watching other people watching scenes through windows yep. or through holes or through, um, and I, I I I enjoyed that. But I think that I mean getting back to this whole story thing and, and the relationship between story and immersive theater. I wonder if I wonder if part of it is that one of the reasons why story acts against that feeling of immersion if story is the container rather than the environment being the container is that if these protagonists in the space have the agency, then they're in control of the space. Mm. Or the space is defined by their action. I mean, because, like, the flip side of story is that the shape of story is character. Right. Literally. Like, story is shaped by action rising action and all all that all means is what the character is doing character and story are the same thing yeah um so the characters kind of need to also be like you need to feel kind of co-equal with the characters in a sense even if you're a ghost who's like hovering around um but you know when the right rabbit treats you like an equal or alice treats you like an equal or when you're as lost in this space and exploring the space and as yearnful for encounters as the family is in the Grand Paradise, that in a sense that is that's telling you that you are in an equal relationship with the space yeah. as all of these characters are.
1: Well, and that's and that's that idea of anchoring people to the protagonists is something that I'm really into these days. Um, and I think I know I've talked to you, but I don't know if I've done it on the show. I don't know if I've talked about um, the and I'm holding it right now. Actually, this piece I got from uh, <laughs> a production. So what are you doing there? Yeah, like it's a piece of candy, which is what they what ravers call like the little plastic bracelets. And I got it at Absolutely. a friend's production of um, uh, just a kind of a test fire, an experiment with a chunk of um, um, Romeo and Juliet, which she called Two Houses and the the setup was basically it was from the queen mab speech to the balcony scene um we started off in mercutio's apartment um where we learned uh because we were the party hanging out with mercutio and romeo that uh, the montagues were goth um and then we made our way broke our way into the capulet's ball We made, we went across the street went to the other space mm-hmm. the other space is a live work uh, circus arts um, practice space. And mm-hmm. we got in there and they had a full candy rave going on. And mind you, there was like 15 of us, maybe more with the, with the actors and the doses, but actually like about 20 of us uh, on team goth team Montague. And they felt like there were about 30 people on team Capulet. So there are 50 people in this space, which was, which can hold about 50 people at nice rave density Right? And you know what I'm talking about. Like you know, you gotta get a get a work your way through the dance floor. Um, and they were doing this thing, which I guess is a thing in candy rave culture, where the they will uh, entwine fingers with you and then use the other hand to roll their bracelet off onto your wrist. and the the candy ravers, the Capulets were approaching the Montague party members and doing that. And as soon as they happened, I was like, oh, this is gonna happen to romeo juliet's going to do this to romeo uh and it's it turns out that's a thing that happens at candy raves and i didn't know about that but it was it was press-ganged into into being here and i started thinking about how oh this is and i even knew how it was going to happen cuz this is going to happen during palmer's kiss right cuz it's hand-to-hand contact holy palmer's kiss right you mm-hmm. know that whole setup right there's the, the puns going on there to make this little gesture work and this idea of I'm going to do something physical to the participant, which I'm then going to replicate on the protagonist. And that's the lay in grand paradise. It's also the water ritual, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, I'm initiating you participant audience member. I'm taking you audience member, you who are observing you who are watching this. I'm bringing you into this world with a physical action And then I'm going to take the protagonist, who indeed is already set off. They look different from you. And I'm going to do the same thing to you, to them, that I did to you. You got there first. There's a primacy in that, I'm just realizing that now, that puts you, the participant, ahead of the protagonist. And it's like, this protagonist here, they are your sacrificial lamb. Follow them. Choose Mm. who you're going to follow They stand for you, you who have already undergone the physical initiation. That's contagious magic right out of Fraser. right? It's a different way of approaching communication. It's a way that is not... It's a way that isn't traditionally thought of as story or narrative, but is so used by stories and narratives of magic and stories that are told within religious contexts this becomes that this bread is my body right? I'm going to transubstantiate this object this object is your connection to the world and I'm going to take this object and connect you to this world and you're going to watch how that object is also used to connect this other person to this world and now that person stands for you we can't ritualistically beat you up or well, we can realistically like fake beat you up, but we can't like do certain things to you. But we're gonna do it to the dad. We're gonna do it to the mom in the Grand Paradise. We're gonna do these things to these characters. They are your proxies. That's how I was yes, interpreting. Yes, and
2: it. Uh, well, I mean to 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 offer a foreshadowing of the conversation with Janine and Lizzie. Um, the word that Janine used for what the each of the family members could be for each individual audience member was Avatar.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And uh, there's a, and there's an origin to that relationship that you'll hear when you listen to to the interview. But this this thing of ritual, you know, it's it it, it is so deeply true. In one of the things I've always loved about about theater is exactly that is exactly what you're talking about. I mean it's it's a it, it's a ritualized experience. Even even when you are it. I don't know, I, I wanna act out against these people who are talking bad about Tony and Tina's wedding. I've never <laughs> even seen Tony and Tina's wedding. But what what I, I'd be willing to bet is true about Tony and Tina's wedding is that every single person who goes to Tony and Tina's wedding has been to a wedding that they have had profoundly ambivalent feelings about.
1: <laughs> and
2: and that that peace takes a hold of those feelings and turns and transforms them and gives you a sense of a catharsis about them because it's funny, it's ridiculous, it's 100% non-threatening. Yeah, And whether it's doing that about the ambivalent feelings you might feel about some wedding that you've gone to or your anxiety over death or your feelings about coming into middle age or your feelings about a sexual awakening having never been touched by another person before in an intimate way, whatever that is, like all of that is what theater is for and all of it requires a structure Right, and that structure doesn't need to be as mechanic as um, you know a Sid Field might write about it or might uh, insinuate it to be for the sake of efficiency and bucks but those structures we respond to on this deep level it doesn't take much to ignite those feelings you know I mean, there's this one of the um, there's this really wonderful book called The Morphology of the Folktale, and um, the attempt was made to catalog the actions in every single folktale throughout um, Russia and like surrounding uh, Eastern Europe, and, and th- these are like structuralist, these are right. like formal structural. It was like during that period of 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 time and the the um the assertion in this book is that here are these sequence of events these are all of the events that happen in these in these stories and every event doesn't happen every time but when the events do happen they always happen in the same sequence Mm. yeah because those are the signals those are the you know, it's like um, it's like in in the times of oral history. It's like not everybody told the story of the Iliad in the same way, but when they did, the events always happened in the same order.
1: Right. Like they, they're you, you wouldn't have like if, if when Star Wars becomes oral history, you know, you right. you wouldn't you wouldn't tell the destruction of the de- first Death Star after. The fight at Bespin, you can't, right? But you might omit the Death Star, you know. You might, you might, you know,
2: skip around it somehow, or repeat the motif,
1: or or repeat the motif, you know,
2: like Um, you actually. So so I'm I, I mean. This may take us too far afield, but one of the other reasons I wanted to It's talk the story It's the
1: after dark episode. Say there, right. there is no field. Right. We'll tell people to listen to this one after the sun sets, and only after the sun sets. That's the container um, for this one. I, re-
2: I remember when we were talking about the Force Awakens. <laughs> Sorry, and <laughs> yeah. and you and you had this um, this uh, this point of view about it that had to do with the difference between story and plot.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I don't, I don't think, I don't think I ever quite um, uh, got the full explanation or rant on that. But I'm very curious to hear can what I you s- have to say
1: about. Can it. I, can I summon that one? So, um,
2: here, wait, i let me, let me see if I can ignite it. Um, no, 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 I, I got it, I got okay.
1: it, I got it. No, I got it. I, right. just, I think. Just so, piss so you like, off. you know, because what was going on at the time where people were really upset that so many of the beats were in right. for. Were yep. the beats in four? Were the were the beats in seven? Right. And I was like, "Well, no shit, Sherlock," um, because this because of the fact that character is story. You can mm-hmm. put different characters through the same plot, and you will get a different story. Mm-hmm. Because Ray is not Luke, and Finn is not Han, and. Poe is not anybody, right? You know, or or wedge plus, or wedge plus, or or is or bigs
2: plus. You know, or oh like God. or
1: is or is Poe, Han and Finn, Leia. You know, like like you can start to like you know you can look you can get pins and put them on a board yeah. and string and start making your connections like any good conspiracy theorist. But the point is, is that we're taken. If we're tuned into the characters, we're going to different emotional places. And indeed, part of the point is that every generation must fight these fights. Every generation has to face these battles. And when we were kids, we thought that the story was, you fight this fight, you become an adult, and the world becomes a just place. And what's heartbreaking to people who thought that that's what they were buying when they bought Star Wars as their mythology, as their religion, is that the real truth is that much like other religion, which is which which they'll tell those stories, but it's about the rhythm of the year, you fight these fights in your life, but the battle always continues for the next generation. I came to this point really recently where I, I sort of had this kind of... Maybe it's a revelation, maybe it's a realization, maybe it's just me finally waking up from being slightly stupid... I used to think that a story was a sign that uh, a culture had metabolized something, right? Like when I was introduced to the style Oh man, it,
2: no. When, when you metabolize it, the story goes away.
1: Well, no. no right. But, like, I was introduced to the Oristia, and they introduced the Oristia to me. It's like, oh, this is the proof that, this is, this is the record of how we came to understand justice in the West. This is mm. the story of it going from chaos to going to justice. And I was like, oh, okay. So, like, we've solved that problem. No, we haven't solved that problem. It unfolds all the time. The inability to understand the difference between vengeance and justice is why Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice is a piece of shit because there's no justice in that movie. It's vengeance. It's vengeance all the way through. It's people not getting it, right? It needed to be justice, but that's a symptom, that is a diagnostic on our culture right now. The inability to tell the difference between vengeance and justice which is why i'm totally expecting us to see orastias pop up all over the place and indeed we already have seen a little bit of that go on the stories mm-hmm. exist as evidence that's so funny me- the,
2: the moment the moment you sort you started you got to the the what it means to metabolize a story and stories recurring i immediately thought of the orastia even before you said yeah. it. yeah
1: well, because probably because it's, we're all programmed that way. I think it might be part of our theater yeah. uh, history education. Definitely
2: is, theater geek reflex, yeah. You know, it's
1: like we're told, like, this is the thing. But what the revelation I- was, was that a story isn't evidence that uh, a society has dealt with an issue, it's that a society has woken up to an issue right and there's so many people who like look for a story and say like I want my story to state something like they want an Aesop's fable they want a moral they want a statement they want an argument that proves x but what makes a story eternal what makes it something we can keep going back to is that it isn't a mathematical equation that solves for a, a particular problem and gives you a result it's a formula that lets you solve for X. It's a formula that's eternal. You keep coming back to it and you ask a new question. You say, well, what about this? And you drop it into the story and the story, you know, gives you, well, if this, then that. Now, this is the answer for now. Give me a different variable and I'll give you a different answer. But this is the formula. Um, if you want to do it through, through that way. And so that's that's what that's what an, uh, a a great cultural story is evidence of that that society mm-hmm. has hit upon a problem that it is now chewing on, and maybe they solved it, but they don't. I don't think any of these problems ever go away, right?
2: I don't. Yeah, I mean it. I mean, I, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful to our conversation in any way, shape, or form. But what I keep thinking about as you're talking about this. Um, is is two things: is that um, stories that keep coming back and coming back and coming back are to a culture what like a neurotic response is to a person. I mean, the healthy person remembers; the neurotic person repeats, and they repeat the same patterns over and over and over again. Like a, I don't know, like, like a rehearsal of the past or something. But and a society, thinking... a society
1: has to sorry to riff there, but like a society no, no, has please. to has to um, educate or, putting your point of view, indoctrinate. A new generation each time right right so like it it for an individual to keep on engaging with the same story over and over and over is neurotic for a society to do it it's it's the memory it's like we're going to initiate through it's the initiatory process
2: i i i agree i agree but i mean i guess it depends on how you see culture i mean culture needs to fix itself and it needs to um um And it does that through this, through this, through this indoctrinal, did I just make up a word? I don't know. Mm.
1: Um, It's after dark. It's after dark. uh, I,
2: I guess I see those, those things as, as the same thing. I mean, it's a way of bringing someone into the, the, the repeated patterns of, of a society um, that has its own like internal contradictions and illnesses and pathologies and neuroses um, that I don't know. I mean, they could be seen as noble or seen as sick, but um, but it, it, it's it's a way of of fixing these behavior patterns and these values. It's right. a way of fixing these values, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: which you know it's either positive or negative depending on how you how you look at it. But what's what? what well, now what I'm thinking about is to go back to immersive theater, um. <laughs> To to set up an environment where you take I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back two steps. So the other thing I was thinking about when what you're talking about is Brecht. Because Brecht Brecht would disagree. Brecht would say, well look, doing these these um these eternal values, these things that seem like they're um that they're true, that they're eternal, that they're true throughout time. That's a way of hypnotizing you in, into thinking that these times are different, that this culture always existed and always will exist, that um, um, that what love means now is what love meant 200 years ago, that what labor means now was same right? And Brecht is saying, no, 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 look, the po- what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how this time is different from these other times. And I wonder, and right now I'm thinking about the Grand Paradise, because the Grand Paradise puts you in an environment and sets you up with this passionate yearning for this beauty and this sex and this stuff and then shows you the other side of it. Right. It shows you the, oh, you can fall in love with this girl and be in this room and she can touch your hand and now there's also jealousy. It can show you the two sides of this space and in that space, if you're rendering it properly, both sides have to exist.
1: Right, right. Well, and I think, like, I think to, to my point, I think the thing that reconciles Brex's concern, as, as, as you phrased it, with, with what I'm trying to scratch at, is that the, the eternal questions are, what is justice? The eternal question is, what is the proper way to express one's love when one doesn't even know how to express oneself? Yes. Um the stories that stick and that may get rebooted or rewritten, like the characters whose struggles are around that, like they're I guess for me, because the characters the characters sort of are the stories, then yeah. you know, we come back and we like we start tweaking you know, the variables become the things we maybe tweak about the plot to reflect the time, but the journey is in search of that answer. And so, yeah, what is the answer in
2: search of, I I agree in search of, so like, so like the, the things that the stories that can be told over and over again, um, are the ones that don't give you a definitive answer. Right. So it's about, it's about a struggle through the question. Whereas, um, whereas, um, if it answers the question definitively, then it immediately becomes stuck in that time, in that culture, yeah, in that period. It's dead. Cause the answers are always different, but the questions are always the same.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's dead. It's, it's, yeah. it's a piece of dead media. Um, and I'm not the, the mystic mythic weirdo, part of me, the part of me that's drawn to this stuff, the, uh, you know, is not interested in dead media. Um, I think what's interesting about then she fell and interesting about sleep no more and interesting about the grand paradise, interesting about a lot of the shows I see that are like chasing the spirit that those have is that they are asking those questions and not giving me definitive answers and maybe the form yeah. itself, maybe that sandboxing, maybe the fact that it is a container for a story and not a story itself so that it it will never have a definitive answer.
2: I can't. Well, I think it's endings. I mean, I think it's endings. So, like, if mm. if um, if Sleep No More begins when you when even some part of you thinks that the McKittrick Hotel is a McKittrick Hotel and not a theater, like when you get that invitation, when you go, um, and then it sort of ends at the like. There's a moment of applause, and then this thing happens that may or may not make sense to you, um, and then you walk out into the night. But it's still really porous that ending. Um, the ending of then she fell is super super chorus. I mean it, not chorus. it's totally the wrong word, but it's um, it doesn't push you into a vector. I was I mean Jean and Lizzie and I were talking about this about this today um, that it it leaves you with your own space.
1: Oh yeah. it
2: doesn't say this is what this thing is. Houseworld did that in an even more bold way. I mean the last 15 minutes of that piece are you? Eyes closed in a soundscape. By yourself, I mean alone, together by yourself. You know, um, whereas the ending of a, at least a traditional Western story, anything you would see on you know any of the great plays, they have they have a maybe it's not a really clear moral message, but that ending is where the creator says, okay, this is my point of view. Here's my point of view. This is the deal. This is the world. Yeah. And when the end, and when the ending is open like that and whether it's, you know, in a in, in a novel, whether it does that um, ends in the middle of a sentence and doesn't quite give you the resolution um, or in Then She Fell when it ends the way it ends or in House World when it ends the way it ends um, or if the thing just sort of ends and dissipates and throws you out into the night, you um, it, it doesn't answer that question. It lets you, it lets it be open. It lets the environment of the peace bleed out into the environment of your life and the world in New York City or Los Angeles or wherever you are.
1: Yeah. And that's how you wind up feeling like the world is numinous, right? Like when yeah. I walked out of, then she fell and the world felt like it was on fire. I walked yeah. out of Grand Paradise and I felt like I had just endured a breakup and then I shoveled a bunch of <laughs> pasta in my face and that was enough. So I shoveled a bunch of moose in my face and then I got on the L and I got depressed. Um, and instantly was like, how well, can I, I go mean, back? At
2: least, you know, that, that, that makes you a New Yorker. If you're on the L and you're depressed and you just shove food in your face, then you're basically a New Yorker. I feel honored to have been given that uh, appellation. Um, <laughs>
1: Honorary New Yorker. That's that's that's, that's okay've I've, I've,
2: I've screamed and cried on the 405 so
1: oh well, that's your birthright as the Californians say eh? yeah. so like let's just be real for a second here um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's I think I get disappointed in an immersive piece when it it tries to give me an answer. When it doesn't let me make up my own fucking mind, yeah, um, which which feels very Brechtian to me—to let me make up my own fucking mind, right? Like, right. It just
2: it just sets up some. It just sets up a dialectic. It sets up opposing forces. One, two, three, four. However many you want to choose, and says he who says yes or he says no.
1: I, and I think I can understand why people get turned off by that and want a story because for a lot of people what they're looking for in story is they're looking for something that lets them think the world makes sense.
2: Yeah.
1: As opposed to a set of tools that will actually help the world make sense. That's me being judgy here. Right? Like, I feel about it like my, my flavor of existentialism is... There's a way to make the world make sense. There are tools out there. And a really great story is gonna give you tools with which lenses with which to see the world. You can build a case in your mind that contains all these lenses and you can affix them to your brain and see the world through those filters. And that's what a story gives you. And when 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 it's what's happening in front of you isn't making sense through one set of filters, you you take that filter off and you put another filter on, and maybe you can see what's actually going on around you, because yeah. there's all sorts of stories going on around you at every moment. There's all these lives going on around you, and if you can figure out the rhythm, you know, then and if you can figure out the the language, then you can you can decode the stories there that's what immersive gives to me is like it's like it's like that model of reality that i have it's that like in much the same way that someone who looks to a story to say i want to know that there's a narrative to the world that life makes sense so they go to a story they go to star wars they go to church they go to wherever their er myth is and they say oh yes that's that's my thing i go into this mode and it's like oh right there's a way to see the world and you give me that and then i'm fine so so i'm i'm doing the exact same thing you know i'm pursuing the exact same instinct except i want the tool set i don't yeah. want a hammer i want the whole fucking craftsman set
2: and i think it's a very it's a very exciting thing because every every new well i mean tools and tools and uh tools repeat themselves but every new piece of immersive theater and anything that's even vaguely experimental or trying in some way, you have to learn some kind of new language or some kind of new point of view even to engage with it.
1: Yeah.
2: And thats I find that invigorating. I find that so exciting. I mean, there's, there's nothing I like more than walking into something and for the first 15, 20 minutes being like, what in the name of, I have, what, ah.
1: Yeah. I love that. What's interesting is, like, I think the thing that's going to help bring more people through the doors is getting the tutorial chapter thing right. It's the same thing that helped with the mainstreaming of gaming, right? We saw this (laughs) Mm. in the late 90s into the early aughts where this idea of instead of it being the manual, here, let me hand you this manual, this is how you play the game, the game starts to teach you how to play it. Yeah. Right? So, and the more you can do that, can the piece teach you how to see it, right? I think that's a problem that Grand Paradise has, is that it, it, is that it doesn't have a tutorial, and it needs, kind of needs a tutorial, um,
2: yeah, I think I think there was a I think there was a little bit of a presumption involved just because the 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 environment is so familiar in its own way. You know, right? It's it's not that it it's not that it it is a resort in the '70s. It's it's our 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 imagined nostalgia of what a resort in the '70s might be, which is something so familiar and yet. Um, um, and yet, a for people who coming out of coming out of then she fell those those moments that are more choreographed and those moments that are less choreographed can be very jarring, mm-hmm. um, and also it's um, it's uh, the the sort of slide that goes between sort of the surfacey fun sexy thing, and then the the, the thematic transitions that happen. Um, I think can be really jarring and confusing.
1: Well, one thing I, want, I was talking with Haley, Haley and Michelle uh, the other day, mm-hmm. and she's been in both. Uh, then she fell Sleep no more, and she's jealous mm-hmm. of the fact that I got to go to Grand Paradise as a and, performer. As a performer, he's done them uh-huh. like bazillion times. And um, who did she play? And then she fell. Who she play in the? I'm curious. She's she's played a. She did work the Alice, one of the Alice mm-hmm. tracks, I do believe. We were having that conversation, and we were talking about like the scene zero, right? And I don't know. I don't know if this is this is this is my vision of what the scene zero is. I don't know what the scene zero mm-hmm. for uh, in the minds of of the creators are. So this is my nomenclature, not third rails. So okay. I, I would refer to so the, the the waiting room is scene zero in in Then She Fell to me, mm-hmm. and the courtyard is scene zero with like. The, the lobby sort of being, uh, well, Courteous really seen one. So like, but like this sense of in the, in the waiting room and then she fell, you've got this doctor's office, right? And like the interactions there are to be awkward. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I'm in a doctor's office. You don't really want to talk to anyone else. All the, all the chairs are lined so everyone can see each other, but you don't really want to look at anyone else because that's not what you do in that sort of space. Right. And that, that, Discomfort works beautifully Mm
2: -hmm. for
1: what's going to proceed. In the Grand Paradise, the space is implying to you that oh, it's lush. It's you know, it's 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 twilight at the hotel, Mm -hmm. and it's all to tell you the way. But then you're just put in there as a person, and you don't Mm -hmm. really no... Like, the natural thing would be sort of mingle with people and on the mm-hmm. second night I wound up mingling with people. On the first night mm-hmm. I wound up talking to some of, like, the, actually, the, the uh, Third Rail staff and that was great. I was having, like, a conversation. But then I was sort of existing yeah, yeah. in two worlds. I was existing in the world of, like, you're Noah Nelson, the guy who does know Proscenium, and you're here yeah. for the first time and you're talking with them and it's like, oh, this is, like, oh, like, I'm, I'm not not getting my head into space the second time i knew what i was expecting someone approached me and started talking indeed we started talking about then she fell but it was like me talking to a stranger which is what Um, you'd be doing at a tropical resort on day one it's like who is everybody and it made me think of it made me think of and the drum which is lauren Oldwick's piece and we started there Mm like this conversation talking about that one to some degree and the, the form of the dinner party. And as you entered the dinner party, the different characters approached you, and they started you. They started talking to you, but they also started getting you talking to each other. They acted as the icebreakers to bring us together. Uh-huh. And I almost feel like maybe that's something that could have been happening. There's a little TGD. bit of
2: that. I mean, I mean, when I I think I saw it. I mean, I haven't seen it in like. I don't know six weeks or something, so I don't know how things have evolved. But the both, I know I'm 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 going I'm am I'm going back very very soon. Yeah. Um, both of the times I saw it, there were members of the staff who of of the resort, you yeah. know that, yeah, um, who, were, who were walking on chatting with people the whole time.
1: Yeah, I saw some of that going on. Like the yeah. problem for me was like it wasn't happening with me, and and the ratios. Yeah, yeah, and on yeah. the second night, like I felt like it was like a lot more people in there. It was really because it was Sunday mm. night, and it was like really felt packed. Um, mm. And so, how to make how to really guarantee that's going to happen? How to get everybody in yeah. the mood is like it's a logistical problem, right? And I think the instinct is there to do it. It's just like it may or may not be 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 firing up. Um and that's that's that thing is like how do you how do it's it's an initiatory thing. How do we initiate people into this space? How do we give them Mm -hmm. how do we cast the audience? How do we make it clear what they're what they're to be doing? And then once we've got those expectations, then we can start playing with that, you know. Like there's there's almost like there's no plasticity if you don't know what your starting form is. Um and and the bigger a piece gets, the harder it is to do that. You know, Drunk solves it with "Here's your mask. Now shut up." Right? That's the cruel way of looking at it. They execute that brilliantly. Here's your right. mask. From this point forward, there's no talking. One time, one time, you know, I was given a like a seductive thing. Yeah. And once and the first time I got it it felt really like sort of like seductive. It's like we like you better this way. The second time it was given to me in a way that felt like it was dangerous. Almost like, oh, you're being given this for your own protection. And wow. like it set a different tone, right? It was I and mean, it was just it was just the way the guy delivered it. I was like, Yeah, Whoa.
2: the the first time I went, it felt like a sort of warning, like that dangerous thing. The last time I went, it felt more like Um It felt more like I don't know, it, it was just mechanical. It didn't it didn't have much of a tone or feel to it. It was just like da 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 da.
1: Yeah. And look, that show's been running for so long and you know, a lot of people come through there and maybe not everyone's always having the best night, you know? Like Sure, sure. Like there's there's you know, we're 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 definitely I would never I would never want anyone to walk, I guess I said that because I never want anyone to walk away thinking that we're like, we're criticizing a performer, you know, like they didn't give us the best of our possible experience. I know. I mean, I mean, the people on
2: Broadway make the big bucks because they bring it hard every night. I mean, that's, yeah, like that's, that's part of the skill of being someone who performs over and over and over again is to make it as fresh. And I mean, that's part of why not that many people can do that sort of thing. True. It's not it's doesn't happen when you want it to happen, it happens because you make it happen every single time. I mean, God knows, I, you know couldn't do it, but that's part of it.
1: Yeah. I don't I don't know. I've never challenged I never wound up challenging that part of myself. So missed opportunities. Um
2: <laughs> That 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 this is well, I guess before after after recording that there's this <laughs> moment the second time I saw the Grand Paradise, um, and there's this thing that happens at the end, and or towards the end, and uh, there are moments throughout the whole thing where you're sort of pulled off into small groups, you know, and there's clearly a, a certain number of people that each performer takes, you know. Right. Um, and uh, at one point, this one performer uh, who plays uh, the siren role, she's one of the like Lizzie Carrera plays the Karina plays the siren role, mm-hmm. um, and this other woman plays I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but she's I mean they're all very very beautiful you know and yeah. she's very very beautiful and and she somehow and she was sort of grabbed me and she grabbed this other guy, and there were all these guys and then eventually there were like just eight guys like around her because she was sort of making these gestures and she really only needed four of us <laughs> and and i knew that cuz i'd seen it before and she sort of looks at us and like the doors are starting to close and she's like okay you you go that way and you go that way and you go this way and no you stay here and and when it was back to four of us she sort of looks at us and she's all like well that was a little stressful wasn't it let's sit down <laughs> yeah it was it was very it was a it was a way of engaging with the moment of what was happening without breaking character that was quite charming
1: that reminds me there was a moment um, on this piece that I saw the other night uh, my, my friend was with me and she was we were out on Santa Monica Beach and we were looking cold and like the actor the actor dropped uh, for a moment to like give her a blanket but what was interesting it was mm-hmm. like the actor for that piece her voice was really like kind of high and tight it was like mm-hmm. she was she was up off the text you know you know what I mean mm-hmm. like just like yeah I yeah, know exactly here.
2: what
1: you mean. Um, and then she had this interaction with my friend Shoshana. She's like, you look really cold. And she dropped, she dropped into where she should have been. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> you're, you're capable. And, and what was rough for that yeah. piece, it was weird. It's like, I wound up really like But by the end of the night. I was glad I went at the beginning. It was really tough. And like, um, but, the, 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 other, it was a triptych piece and the other two pieces were very, very, very strong and everything, pay, everything paid off in the end. Everything paid off in the end. The staging mm-hmm. was, the staging really is, is fricking amazing. So it's a really, really good piece. Um, but it was rough having an actor all, who was also having to convey a lot of exposition. Like it was sort of a thankless, right? It was, a, it was, a, it was the roughest part of the whole piece, in so many ways but in just in that moment she dropped down and I was like oh, oh you've got it I can't even see why they cast you like I wasn't too mm. sure right here but like oh this this is happening yeah yeah and 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 it's in the it can be in those moments of 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 real engagement you know for me uh at, at TGP um I got to see uh I think Katerina or Katrina Reed I think uh, two nights, she gave what I call the, uh-huh. the Ganymede speech. And it starts off with her talking about signs. And and she's like, talking about like picking people up. And like, you know, we can't just say this, we have to say that. And like, I like to use, what's your sign? Mm-hmm. And like, that's like the cue. And she's like, you know, she aims it at someone. And she mm-hmm. had to go, like, oh, no, really, what's your sign? Right. And it's like, she needs to hear it in order to keep the pattern going. But like, right. she's got, she's just, she's always got this way. I got to watch her do this thing twice and it's it's amazing it was it was talk about Broadway it was it was fresh each time it felt engaged she was telling us a story much the way like you watch a friend tell another friend a story you've already heard and you see Uh them go through it and it's just got that there's this this little thing that's happening it's just this like you know they enjoy telling it and that makes it enjoyable enough for you to watch the second time because you know how much they're getting out of it um and that feels that feels real, and it's there like the the needle is in the groove as the record plays um,
2: yeah i'm it it absolutely blows my mind how um, how a really good intimate performance that is between an actor and an audience member or um an actor and a few audience members can feel so intimate and uh like a real connection yeah. and to to repeat that night after night as a reformer I can't even begin to imagine oh my god what it must be like because you know I mean I mean there there are so many different kinds of acting and so many different ways to mm. approach what it means to act and for some people it's it's a. Uh, it comes from the physicality. For some people, it's more of a method thing. For some people, it's you're wearing. I don't know. You you change your physicality, and it's it's so different. But when you're, I mean, when you're eye to eye and vibe to vibe and skin to skin, and it needs to carry. I mean, good lord, I don't I don't even know. It was fascinating to hear. You'll you'll hear Lizzie talk about that a little bit. Um, actually, in response to the Colin question. Um, hmm. And her, and I can't. I can't to wait to hear was, that episode. <laughs> and what she had to say was, um,
1: "Don't don't 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 go any farther Okay, all right. <laughs> Send me the files as soon as we're done. But don't yes, fun I will. I absolutely, I'll, I'll will. listen to it. It's gonna be. It's gonna be so weird knowing that like this goes up after that, and all of our it So like, if I wind up listening back to this in some sort of weird, like, tortured penance, <laughs> narcissistic thing, I'll get to hear the naive version of myself free the answers it's like this is my little yeah. card but let's let's you know, let's pull it back let's pull it back to the, the central question and see if we, see if we've gotten anywhere because we've definitely we have not followed a narrative structure i don't know what act was when maybe there were no. 5 of them um, I, w- I would argue that we haven't even necessarily built a container for this experience tonight
2: not even a little bit man
1: other other than the, <laughs> other than saying it's after dark um yeah. So, the question is does immersive need story and if and and indeed what is story in the context of an immersive um we've definitely danced with it through it and around it I don't I mean maybe maybe the answer if there is an answer is what we were talking about these eternal stories is that like what maybe story is something we look at when we like I got something out of that right like this 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 favors for me my my values thing like it's the values it's the ideas it's the emotions anchored in character right
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like and you you look at that like a friend tells you their, tells you a story tells you their story and, mm-hmm. and you like it. it's like oh yeah that man he's got a great story listen to that story um you, a movie's got a great story uh, and and it won't necessarily have the, the, the shape, but it's got those things in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're, we're, we're always trying to find, just, just as a way to, to sort of deal with, you know, how to make them or how to understand them or how to explain them to someone else. We're trying to simplify mm-hmm. it and break it down into something. But when it comes to this immersive thing, that's putting the cart before the horse. That's... Yeah. That's, you know, it's going to have that stuff. But that's not what it's trying to do. That's, that's never the point. Yeah. And to judge it on that alone is to miss the point. Like, you're missing the point. And I, think a lot, I think And I think people who are really good theater critics do have that problem. Yeah. Because they're really good theater critics. Because they're used to what they're used to. And they've yeah. got a they've got a good set of tools for breaking that down.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but this is this is more about more like it's it's less about it's less about making Sleeping Beauty and it's more about making Sleeping Beauty's castle.
2: Uh, uh, that is such a good way of putting it. it. Yeah, it's it's like that. It's the difference between I don't know being caught up in the flow of the stream and walking around the forest that the stream's in. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really like the way you put it. I really like that a lot. It's like between being stuck in time and walking around time as an object or something like that.
1: Yeah. Huh. I only worry that that it's not for everybody. I would, I would, I would hope but that it. What,
2: what's for everybody? Well,
1: but you know what I mean. I mean, not for. I mean, not everybody. But like. Yeah. I mean, I think of how popular video games are, and I think of how many people have problems with video games and, and yeah. their approach to narrative. And their approach to sandbox, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, how popular is it? how many copies of Grand Theft Auto sells, yeah. right? You know,
2: no, I think. I mean, I think that you're. I think the way that you see the relationship between virtual reality and immersive theater is tremendously apt. And I think that that there will come a time when immersive theater is incredibly popular. They'll just it's just going to be called virtual reality. Mm.
1: Yeah, you might be right. I mean, I—I I, I I don't want—I don't—I don't—I don't want don't, to I mean, lose I, the physical plant, right? You know, yeah. Like, I think a lot but of I mean, people. I, know. That.
2: I, I mean, I don't. Know. i mean, I i imagine, I—I I don't know. I have no answers. I—I I, I kind of—I—I I mean, what would happen if, like, the amount of money it costs to make Disneyland, you took that money, and you gave it to third rail projects, or you gave it to punch drunk? I mean. God what in the world would they make? And would it not be, I mean, I don't know.
1: Well, more, more, maybe even more interesting question, right? Cause like taking the billions that's costing to build Shanghai Disneyland. Sure. Uh, you know, and the need, the needs that go into a thing like that. And there are people who work on that project who listen to this show, which is the weird thing to know who, who helped the <laughs> show exist. Um, the, the question to me that I think of is like, well, what happens when the VR stuff and the AR stuff is done up in such a way that it costs a hell of a lot less to get the visual design elements, right? Mm-hmm. When either in a virtual space or in sort of a, a warehouse space, we can like fill in an AR way and like paint over someone's vision of something because they're wearing AR goggles. I'm going full mm-hmm. sci fi here, guys. Um, mm. Like, a, which is sort of a cheating holodeck, right? So it's not the holodeck because you've got something on your face, but like you're seeing what it'd be like if you're on the holodeck. You're still going to want actors, you're still going to want tactile things that people can pick up. But think about the oranges in Then She Fell. Think about the roses. Think about the water in Grand Paradise. Think about the candy in the candy room. Think about the frickin' baby, right, in, in the rave. It's these tiny touches that are very grounded um, and these little interactions that give the verisimilitude of the world and like make it feel so real. It's at that granular scale where you can invest the money and then just like paint over the broad details, make the distant horizon, whatever it is, you're still going to want to have the details that people can, can touch and taste hit the senses that way. And that's where the interesting work is also happening though, right? It's the eye to eye contact. It's the hand to hand contact. It costs $0 except for insurance. To sit an actor in front of someone, have them take their hand, and and say you've got a strong love line. It costs you nothing, in terms of investing in physical plant to create that experience. You know, hopefully you're compensating the actor's time. You're probably paying some insurance to make sure you're not dealing with something crazy. But like in terms of, in terms of. You know the most magical thing that happened to me at the Grand Paradise, you know, in terms of the physical, what, what, what would be required in terms of materials? I mean, like, five bucks, the dollar store, you know? Maybe without everything else, it wouldn't have gone off the same way. But it's not about that. It's not about having $5 billion to build the ultimate form of the McKittrick Hotel. It's about, oh god it's about understanding the human soul well enough that you can create that experience with 25 cents and a little bit of and a twinkle in the eye sorry everybody came to my head and I had to say it but it's true it's about the interaction you know the most magical thing that happened to me at Then She Fell this past time was the moment when Lady M picked me out of the crowd for just a second and whispered in my ear in front of everyone. And it was a line of Shakespeare, you know? And I was like, oh, this is incredible! It took 10 seconds. 10 seconds of my three-hour, two-and-a-half-hour-long-whatever-it-is-night was enough to make me, my God, this is so great. It's that stuff. Not that you can just walk up to someone on the street and do that, and you'll get arrested. (laughs) Like, you still have to, like, you have to set... Right, but that's the thing. that's why it's about building the world. I'm gonna build this world to make that moment. That's the magic. I don't know. it is after dark. we've been rambling now.
2: We have been rambling, but I think that's good. I think that's a good I think this is a good place to stop in this open spot with no true clothes. yeah just uh fade out into the night.
0: All right, once again, I want to thank our guests wait a second we didn't have any guests it was just us I want to thank us I want to thank us for doing this all the time or supposedly all the time uh, you can find <laughs> I'm not even on cough medicine I really wish I was this is just where my head's at right now sorry everybody um, I want to thank um, wait no I don't want to thank how you can find us that's that's what I need to tell you now that's all you That's all you don't want to know at this point I know that but just in case maybe you do Maybe you're into self-deprecation. If you want to find me, I'm at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. Uh, The whole shebang is at no proscenium on Twitter. Zay is at Zay Amsbury on Twitter. That's Z-A-Y-A-M-S-B-U-R-Y. I guess I could tell you that Noah J. Nelson is N-O-A-H-J-N-E-L-S-O-N. I mean, why should you know how to spell that? Maybe it was Nelson. You know, there's options. Uh, What else is there? Uh, There's that Medium collection where we put up our reviews of stuff. That's medium.com slash no dash proscenium. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash no proscenium. There's a basic URL where there's links to all this stuff. That's just no proscenium.com. The newsletter, uh, you can sign up for it right there the Patreon, which pays for this. And at some point in the not too distant future is gonna wind up paying for the newsletter as well because we're gonna hit the free cap this year for certain at the rate we're going. Um, That is patreon.com slash no proscenium, no dash or anything like that. Thank you Patreon for not making me write something weird. Um, Yeah, that's how to find us. we rely upon you not just for backing the show, which we do. We also rely on you to let us know what the hell is going on out there because it's just me and Zay and Albert and Dean uh, in our respective cities uh, trying to comb through the vast amounts of data to find stuff. And oftentimes the things that are most useful are the stuff that people aren't pushing heavily on the internet. Uh, You know, not everyone's a marketing genius, People are just telling their friends through word of mouth and then they wonder why no one showed up. That's why we exist, is to make sure no one shows up. No, no, the other thing. That's why we exist, to make sure that people show up. So you help us find the shows by emailing us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. Send us your show tips, your cocktail recipes, your homebrew remedies for sinus infections, um, notes on the show. Uh, I'm not listening to any notes on this one, let me tell you. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's the whole deal. I hope that the next time we get together, I'm healthy. I'm not maybe maybe my voice is as um, sonorous as it is right now, but that my head feels better, and my brain's a little less scrambled because next episode is our 50th episode which is kind of ridiculous. I haven't done anything 50 times in the past 10 years, let alone a podcast. Until next time. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.